0: The second week was, uh, which was last week, was Has Science Disproved God? Um, And the third, we're in the third week now, um, and the question is, where is God in all the suffering? So where is God in all the suffering? And Steve is going to come and speak to us in a few minutes about that, but we're just going to read a passage from the Bible that he's going to be speaking from. Um, So if you want to open your Bibles to page 751, Uh, 751. And it's John chapter 5. So if you've got a church Bible, uh, if you look down on the second kind of column, if you look most of the way down the page, you'll see uh, the healing at the pool. And it's that big number five, and we're just going to read the first few verses out of that. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is, in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie: the blind, the lame Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Um, So Steve is going to be preaching to us from them verses in a few minutes. Um, But what I thought I'd do just before our next song.
1: Brilliant. Take a seat for us, would you? Brilliant. Now, if you could uh, turn up that little bit of the Bible again, have it on your, your lap. The last thing you need is my philosophical opinions. The thing that will help us, the thing that our souls were made for, is to hear from the true and living God. He promises us that through his word, the Bible, he will speak into our hearts, redirect our attentions, and give us a sense of why he is so faithful and trustworthy. So keep that open in front of you for your help. Um, let, let's just pray again. I know our, uh, uh, Nathan's prayed. Let's, let's pray again. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we do not want to waste this little bit of time. We don't merely want our minds informed. We know that as, as human beings, we need more than that. We need our souls lifted. We need hope and direction. We need clarity about who we are, about how the world works. And more than any of that, Lord, we need hope. If there is hope from heaven that you want us to see, receive, take deep within us, we pray that in our head and our heart together you'd make that plain to us. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. Speak clearly from your word. Help me as deliverer of the message to be clear. Help us all to have open ears and open hearts, we pray, for we ask in the great and loving name of Jesus Christ himself. Amen brilliant well if you haven't been in church before or if you're not in very often you've come for you it's going to be a doozy today isn't it where is God in all of the suffering and the evil in the world if you have never asked that question why is the world so full of suffering and evil hurt and injustice can I tell you this and it doesn't give me any pleasure to say it it's not a rhetorical device can I tell you this if you haven't asked that already a day will come when you do In fact, many of you have had that moment where you've gone, why me? Why now? Why this? You see, everybody suffers, whether it's physical pain, whether it's illness, whether it's the loss of a dear loved one, whether it is betrayal, whether it is being misrepresented, whether it's social injustice, whether it's cruelty. All of us suffer. Many people ask, why me, why now? Some people just come out and they, they, they immediately go, go vertical. It's amazing when this, when life is hard, people who never reference God at all in their life will maybe even start to say, why has God let this happen to me? It's so personal, isn't it? It's so personal. So there's a sense in which I'm tempted, because I get interested by these things, and some of you are as well, to, to look at mere philosophical arguments for, for what this all says about the life, the universe, and God. But actually, that won't satisfy your soul in the slightest. Because this is deep, and, and it cuts close, doesn't it? Some of you at the moment are walking through a season which feels like it is the valley of the shadow of death. So I don't intend to try and score points off that. I simply want to say the Bible recognises that. So for me, this isn't a philosophical plaything. I've had moments and points in my life. We as a family have had moments and points in our life uh, that have brought great tears, great sadness that have have left us that little bit changed. And you know that as well. That has happened to you. Um, The famous horror writer Stephen King, when he considered the suffering and the evil and the injustice in the world, he said this... I believe in an intelligent design. In other words, he looked at the evidence, knows that it's it's the only obvious answer. There is an intelligent designer. I believe in an intelligent design, but not in a personal God, because there is too much suffering and too much evil. In fact, Darwin and Einstein were both in that same place. They didn't have a problem believing that there was a first cause or some sort of God, but the idea that that God was personal, they couldn't reconcile with the fact of the matter of there being so much suffering and pain in the world. Sam Harris, the famous atheist commentator and author who has debated lots of Christians, who is constantly on the, the TV, both over here and particularly in the States, he sums it up like this. As an atheist, he says, If God exists either he can do nothing to stop the most egregious calamities or he does not care to god therefore is either evil or impotent powerless there is another possibility he goes on and it is both reasonable and the least odious the biblical god is a fiction like zeus And like the thousands of other dead gods whom most people now ignore. Everybody thinks about this. There is us here, you know. Personally, we've all got stories of of hardship and being betrayed, some of which we carry around, some of which shape us, some of which we never feel we'll be able to escape. Can I tell you as well, we've all, if we're very honest, and this is even more difficult to be honest about, we've all got stories of how we have caused the suffering of others, let them down, scored points, manipulated, used people, been vicious, that have left marks on them in a way that they will probably carry that around for the rest of their lives. So where is this God in a world of suffering and evil? Can I tell you that today's answer is going to be astonishing. I'm both nervous and excited about bringing it to you. We're going to go and enter into a story that reframes the way we naturally think. We're going to step into a world where we see God right in the middle of the worst things of life. And he's right there. Can I tell you that the God of the Bible, who we meet in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is totally honest about the realities of suffering. He told the truth. He didn't pretend. He didn't paper over the cracks. And more excitedly than anything else, more exciting than anything else, he made a difference into eternity for anybody who suffers, struggles, faces hardship, knows pain, faces loss, or has been the victim of injustice. Now, can I tell you, and this is the bit I'm excited about, this is in fact where Christianity comes into its own. You can imagine some sort of atheistic or agnostic people clap on their hands and thinking, this is great, a knockdown argument against God, it's wonderful. Now let's say even if they were right, they shouldn't be look, rubbing their hands with glee because it's a bit daft. Because even if you knock God out of the situation, the reality is you're still facing a bigger problem. A world that has no answers to the reality of suffering and evil. So knock God out, you've got a bigger problem. That's not a problem I want to have to have. No, we're going to see a story that recognizes suffering, engages with it, makes sense of it and brings certain hope so that you and me can leave the room with that certain hope. That's worth thinking about, isn't it? And the way we're going to do it, we could have picked many places in the Bible, but we've picked this this tragic, wonderful story there in John chapter uh, John chapter five. I wonder whether somebody would mind with a really bold, loud voice reading verses one through to eight for us again. We've had it read once, but it's important that we enter into what is going on here, so we can see where God is in the midst of suffering. Okay, somebody read that. Who's going to read that for us, really loud? Go on, Amy. Brilliant. Verse 9, at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Amy did the right, right verses, well done, his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. The so first thing I want you to see is from the first two verses, and you're, you're going to say, this doesn't, this doesn't summarise this up, but it does. First two verses, I want you to see a picture of a better world. And as I read it, I want to ask you where the picture of a better world is. Okay? Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool in which, uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. Can you see a picture of a better world there? Well on first glance you can't, can you? Because it is a terrible scene of dereliction. If you were going shopping with your kids down Main Street, Jerusalem on that day, and your kid pointed over there to that archway and says, Mummy, Daddy, what's through there? Uh, What you'd have done is grabbed them by the hand and hurried past. It wasn't sanitary. It wasn't pretty. It was was a picture of the very worst things that human um, technology, intuition, had not got an answer for at all. It was surrounded by flea-covered, rotting bodies who were utterly helpless it was the pinnacle of suffering you could see them described there here a great number of disabled people used to i forget wheelchairs there weren't any of those there were people with benefits there were people without a state that would look after them they were in a state of day-by-day misery and they were going there every day why for one reason there was a pool There was a pool there. There was a pool there and legend had it that if you could go in at just the right time when an angel stirred the pool, you would be able to be restored right. What was evil, suffering, broken, unjust would be restored to something that is right, back the way it was supposed to be. And I want you just to slow down and think about the significance of that for a second. Because it's funny that really. The existence of evil and suffering is the greatest argument that there must be a God. Hold on, Steve, I thought you'd been saying that. No, 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 let me say that again. The existence of evil and suffering is the greatest argument that there must be a God because your senses tell you something is wrong, and if something is wrong, the only way you can measure something is wrong by having an instinct and a certainty that there must be a right. Do you get that? Let me quote C.S. Lewis. He always sorts these things out. Former atheist, looking back after he had become a Christian, said this. My argument against God is that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got the idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? You see, every time... You see something evil, wicked, cruel going on in your own life on the telly. You've got a little echo of something written into you that is saying there is something that is good and right. And the place where we get that from is an ultimate objective right giver called true and living God. So to call it wrong is because we have a sense of what is right and good and the pool was that symbol of that hope. So even as they sat there in the middle of their terrible situation they could sense that they could sense what was wrong so what is evil e- evil is a hole in goodness something that was right has been twisted out of shape and has gone wrong. That's why we use the word lawless. It's the absence of law. That's why we use the word impurity because we've got a sense of what purity should be and it's the absence of purity that is there. There is a standard and it is something that has gone wrong. Have you noticed how you cannot have, um, lies cannot exist on their own? Truth can. Truth can be freestanding. But if you want to have a lie, what is a lie? It is the absence of truth. The same with good. Good is there and can be there, but evil can only exist if there is such a thing as good. It is a loss of the good. And so there, in that ugly place, where there is so much suffering, there was a symbol and a hope of I've been part of a story that was good, but has gone wrong. In fact, the Bible, right at the start of it, it says the Lord looked upon what He created and He said, "It was very good." Scouse translation, "It was boss." Couldn't have got better. But that's not the world we're experiencing. In fact, this day that they've met here—did you notice, right at the end when I read it in verse, at the end of verse nine—it was on a Sabbath. The word Sabbath means the, is a word that describes existence and purpose as it was made to be. Not just making up life as we wish to, not just writing my own story and doing as I please. A picture of life in perfect relationship as it should have been. With the God who made us in relationship to the world and people around. Knowing God, making him known, enjoying his goodness, experiencing his grace. Sabbath. So even on that terrible, terrible day, they could sense what it should have been. And that is the ultimate marker to who God is. So next time you're tempted to go and say, oh, this proves there's no God. Even you saying that, you have to agree to the reality of there being an absolute standard. Um, The late Christopher Hitchens is a famous atheist who would argue violently against Christianity, and he was arguing and having a debate, big public debate, um, with a prominent Christian philosopher. And he was saying, I know there is no God because there is suffering in the world. The philosopher, philosopher turns to him and says, you agree that there is a standard of right and wrong then? He says, of course I do. The philosopher turns back to him and says, you are sitting on God's lap as you slap him across the face. You can only say that because you know that he exists so what we see first of all there is this strange truth of a picture of a better world giving us a confidence that there is hope in this story of who god is but second of all i want us to look at verse 3 to 5 and i want to say to well why how do we make sense of all the pain then how do we make sense of all the pain? Look at verse 3 to 5, and you'll notice 4 is missing because of a, a little bit of concern as the reliability of that verse. You can check it down at the bottom. You see the little words at the bottom. It tells you about that in a minute, but that's, that's for another day. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Just flick over the page to verse 7, and he tells a little bit more of his own personal story. Sir, the invalid said, replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So this is telling the story of somebody who has hopes and aspirations for their life, but suffering has come. It, we don't know how it is or why it is that, that he, was, um, he was in this, this physical state. We know that he's been there, an invalid, for 38 years. Wow! We don't know all the backstory. We know his aspiration to get well. We know some of the barriers to him getting well. I.e. He can't physically move and people keep pushing him out of the way and saying he's not important. He's certainly suffering and has suffered massively. But notice what he doesn't come and do. He doesn't come straight to the foot of Jesus and tell me, say, Tell me exactly why and how this amount of suffering and this kind of suffering has come my way. I want to know before we can have a conversation. I find that really quite interesting because quite often that's the first place that people want to start. I'll never forget the day when a church where I was a trainee years ago, uh, the pastor, Bill Bygrove, some of you know him, he did a series uh, over about a term term, uh, through the year where at the end of the service, he would just come and stand at the platform and he would take questions, anything to do with the, the Christian life. And I'll never forget the day when one of the teenagers who'd who'd been invited along didn't normally go to church, he'd come to some of the youth stuff, he'd got a genuine question, but you could tell it was a genuine question loaded with a, a lot of pain. He just simply stood up, very brave in front of a crowd of 500 people, and he said, why did God take my nan? And what I found was interesting about that question was the level of honesty... But also the place where we start. We're always asking the personal question first. Now what's interesting here is that this guy doesn't ask that personal question first. And some of the reasons, and I've got two of them, are because of him understanding a bigger background. He's not there going, this disproves God because of this personal suffering that I've had for the last 38 years. He goes to bigger he has a, a, a background of bigger answers. And I, I, how do I explain this to you? I, I suppose there are two. I suppose this guy, he was a religious Jewish person. He had an understanding, first of all, of how suffering entered into the world. It didn't answer all his questions, but it was a massive part, piece of the puzzle. He knew that the world had been created good, he knew that it was boss. He knew that he, he, was, he was made to know God and to live for him and enjoy all his blessings. He knew that the high point of creation was the privilege of being able to freely give love. He knew that because he knew the story of the Bible. Perhaps that, that, that's coming to you for the first time. The highest ethic, almost whether you're a, a, a Christian or not a Christian, you'll, you'll agree that the highest ethic is to love. And we've been born into a world that it seems that love is part of the created order. But of course, if God creates us with the ability to love, he also has to give us the ability to do it freely. You see, love that isn't given freely, that is programmed or determined, isn't love at all. Shall I give you an example? Imagine you're having a really bad day, you're feeling utterly isolated and alone, and you just want to feel loved. So what you do is you go upstairs and you pick up one of your kids' toys, you know, one of those dolls with the pull cords in the back. And you pull it and go uh, you pull it like this and it goes, I love you like that. And you're feeling unloved and miserable, and so what you do is you just keep pulling the cords. I love you, I love you and do you feel any better? No. Of course you don't feel any better. Because that thing's programmed to say it, it is meaningless and without any value. He can't give us free will to love and yet determine how we're going to use it and say, you'll always act loving. You'll always choose the right thing. He can't determine free creatures to do only what is right. And these guys sitting by the pool, they knew this. They all knew that story. And they knew that they lived in a world where en masse, as humanity... We have had the hubris and arrogance to say to the true and living God, I want to do what I want to do. I know I've got the choice to choose and live under you and to love you and be loved by you, but I want to step outside of that system. I want to do what I want and I want to do it better. So you think of a, of a lad who goes and picks up his first car. He's all very excited. The car is perfectly healthy, working wonderfully well. Uh, as the last comment as he drives it off the forecourt from the the salesman is this. Remember, it runs on petrol. Want to make it work? Run it on petrol. And of course, that lad's got the perfect free choice to put anything he chooses in. But if he wants it to work properly, he has to put in petrol. But instead, he pulls up at the service station, goes in, buys a two-liter bottle of Pepsi, and chugs that into the um, petrol tank instead. Do not be surprised if everything starts to break. Get smashed to pieces. When man rebels against his sovereign, you are not going to cope with what happens to you. It will break. People say, the Bible doesn't explain suffering. And I'm thinking about this and going, really? The Bible predicts it. Every day life will go wrong because we've done this in the direction of the true and living God. If you haven't got that part of the story, can I tell you, you will be scratching around all your life trying to figure out what suffering is all about. The place where it all began, and it doesn't describe all the particular details. Why did we have to have miscarriages? Why did Jane have to have that freak accident last, last year that smashed her shoulders for good? Why are our kids the way they are? Well, actually, that might be more about us. Um, it doesn't answer the specifics. But it tells you that we're in a world where stuff is broken because things have gone wrong with us, between us and the, uh, um, us, uh, and the creator. And so here in the middle of that, they're not asking, oh, and he's not, even in that description of one who's had 38 years, he's, he's not totally stressed out, going, this proves God, because he knows in the background. But also, he also knows that the, the problem of evil isn't a problem for them, because all they're doing really is they're just, they're just crying out for help. Why? Well, it's assumed, uh, and we need to be careful about this. Um, it's assumed when you state this problem of evil, i.e., if there is, if God is all powerful and all good, He would want to end suffering. Suffering exists in the world, therefore, there's no God. The problem with that argument, and why very few modern philosophers ever use it, is because it doesn't allow for the possibility that God can be all powerful, all loving, and yet still have a good purpose in the ongoing suffering that happens in the world. Could there be good reasons that we don't know about? And of course, they never used to worry about that back then. That's only a relatively new question of the last 250 or so years in Enlightenment thinking. We have this mindset that says, because I don't know the reason, therefore there isn't a good one, God don't exist. It's a little bit arrogant of us. I suppose I could put it this way, I could say... If I want to say that you have a God that is big enough who we can be cross and mad at, at the same time then, he must be big enough to rule beyond my control, understand and have good reasons that he is not obliged to tell me about. Does that make sense to you? If you're moaning that he's big enough to have cocked it up, you've also got to acknowledge the possibility that he's big enough to be in control, have a purpose, and you're too small to be able to see exactly what that is in the midst of the suffering. And can I tell you, the Bible mentions this, these, these could be a sermon series off the back of them. I'm going to just mention four reasons, or sorry, four ways in which the Lord does use suffering for good. Um, the first one is the obvious one. He uses it. Uh, he uses it to call us back to Him. So I'll quote C.S. Lewis again. He talks about how how God whispers to us in our pleasures but shouts at us in our pains to come back to me. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, pain and suffering is God's megaphone to wake a sleepy world to their need of him. That's one of the things that God does with suffering. Another thing that God does with suffering is that he shapes us. Have you seen the character? Perhaps you know people like this. People who have Face down adversity, and they'll go one of two ways. They will either go bitter and into themselves, and it's an ugly thing, or as they face those hardships, they get better. Have you seen how facing hardships... Let's say you're an impatient person. What's the very best way to grow in patience? Face something that is hard to bear, and you learn and grow in patience. So one of the ways in which the Lord uses patience is to to call us back to him. Another way is to to grow us. Another way is to give us a sense of future hope. You know, Mother Teresa, she famously said, In the light of eternity, looking forward to a great day where all that is wrong is fixed, in the light of eternity, uh, the worst this life can throw at you will be like a night in a grubby hotel. You see, there's going to come a great day. That, and I know you might find this hard, particularly if you've gone through particularly cruel, vindictive and life-dominating suffering. It might feel as if you could never be free of it and you would never be able to look back and say, I, that wasn't a good thing that happened, but God brought good out of it. Well, the, the answer is that maybe he can. Which leads me on to the last one. It, he will show us, it through suffering, he shows us his power to renew. Please don't ever hear me say, because I'm not saying, and the Bible doesn't say that suffering is good. But there is a God who is so good and so big and so powerful that even when it seems like it is at the darkest moment, he can bring a tremendous light. And the ultimate picture of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you remember as they wandered by when he is standing, uh, uh, nailed on a cross up above them and they're standing below him. And they say, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Wasted life, no chance, no hope, no return. Evil has won, injustice has reigned, why even bother? And in that very moment, Jesus was taking on himself the evil wickedness, suffering and wrong of the world, to open the door to a greater hope to everybody. So I don't know quite what you're most worried about, suffering-wise, and I wonder whether you quite often, and it's so easy, can get to that point of saying... Nothing good could come of this. How do you know? This is the true and living God we're talking about. He specializes in bringing wonderful things out of wrong, evil, suffering situations. So those are some of the things that would have been in the mind of that person as he began that conversation with Jesus in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Which brings me on to my third point. Uh, This one is quite quick. I just need to find my right bit of notes. Yep, there it is. Third point. God is in the middle. Let me read that verse 6 again. When Jesus saw him lying there. Notice, Jesus hasn't missed the suffering. He hasn't missed it. He hasn't turned a blind eye from it. He hasn't said, somebody else's problem. He's there in the middle of it. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him. So he doesn't just... This isn't this isn't a, a philosophical question for Jesus. This is the Jesus, this is the God, if you believe the claims of the New Testament that Jesus is God, this is the God who, who moves towards and into the direction of somebody who is suffering. This is just what he does. He can't help himself. He moves in in that direction and he begins a conversation about this guy's facing his situation and going into a new one. Do you want to get well? Why didn't Jesus just do his thing? Why did he even stop and slow down? Why did he even say, do you want to get well? Because Jesus never, ever treats you like a robot. He always gives you the choice. He invites you to receive the solutions that his story brings he treats you with dignity well i know what you've wanted what you've been wanting but but do you want me to be the solution to what you're facing now we've all seen what's gone wrong here in this story this guy's in a terrible state but what should amaze us about is is really what comes next is that jesus god's own son meets people in the middle of their suffering in the late 1800s there was um, a catholic missionary um, by the name of father damien he made the personal choice to go and be the padre the pastor of a leper colony and he was there for 12 years people said you're mad it's a death sentence he said but they have no pastor they have nobody to bring them hope They have nobody to bind up their wounds. They have nobody to make sure they get the right kind of food and contact from the outside world. They've got nobody to help them bury their dead. So for 12 years, he went and he lived and walked amongst that community of lepers, knowing that it was a death sentence. And indeed, he fed them. He bound up their wounds. He he tended to them as they were dying. He helped officiate over uh, over their funerals. He helped to physically bury them. But after 12 years, something changed absolutely everything. As his usual congregation met on the Sunday, he did something that he had never done before. He unbuttoned the front of his gown and revealed his chest. And on his chest were the marks of leprosy. And he, did some, he said something he had never said before. He said, we lepers... Not you lepers, we lepers. That was the day, the day that he got leprosy was the day that changed everything. He for the first time had become one of them because he was suffering what they were suffering. Now I want you to think for just a moment, what is the symbol of the Christian religion? I'll Think of the symbols of the other religions. Think of the, the symbol of, of secular humanism. It will be some sort of big building or some sort of fancy show or loud music. You know, you think of the symbols of other religions. What's the symbol of the Christian religion? A cross. The symbol of the Christian religion is a cross. The ultimate in physical suffering and torment. Jesus though this poor guy at this pool wouldn't realise, was only a matter of months away from not just walking and having a conversation with somebody about suffering, but entering uh, entering into a suffering that was not due to him and he could have turned away from, but he goes into it to bear it on behalf of others. He took it all so that we could have a future. If you try to make sense of suffering in your life or anybody's life or in this world without reference to the cross of Jesus Christ, you are going to have no chance at all. We follow a God with wounds who suffered. I wonder whether you've been rejected. So was Jesus. I wonder whether you've been despised. So was Jesus. I wonder whether you've been betrayed by somebody close to you. So has Jesus. I wonder whether you've been uh, criticised or physically attacked or hounded or the victim of injustice. So has Jesus. Have you been accused, misrepresented, facing excruciating pain or died? So has Jesus. He gets your suffering, went into suffering for you many people might go and hold your hand through that but he went in so that you could have a better future and just like father damien though father damien was powerless over the leprosy jesus came to defeat sin and death and sorrow and injustice forever and ever and christians believe that that is what happens he did that he does care He's in it with people. Which brings me to my last and final point, which is this. Suffering will now not have the final word. Read verses 7, 8 and 9. In fact, verse um, 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now I wonder whether you get this here. This isn't just a mere miracle saying, is this, uh, why, doesn't, why doesn't God do this every day? The whole point is that Jesus here for a moment, because he cannot help himself, is letting the future, what it will be a future reality for all of the world through what he achieved at the cross, the future break into the present For a moment, we get a little acted parable. What he does small with this one guy's life, this total renewal, this removal of suffering, removal of evil, removal of injustice, removal of hurt, removal of pain, irrespective of whether the guy had sinned or not, the removal of that, for just that moment, was a proof of what will happen on that last day. Do you understand what this means? It means... It means... That whatever suffering and evil you are experiencing or have been marked by cannot, will not have the last word over you. Now, if we were Pentecostals, I'd be getting an amen there. Because every day the big thing that you are bothered about is how hard things are. The hardness won't have the last word. Do you believe that? That's what Christians build our hope on, a certain hope. Jesus Christ has deprived evil of its ability to have the last word over the world. All wrongs will be righted. And Jesus Christ has deprived evil of having the ability to have the last word over your life too. Has any other way of making sense of the world, atheist, agnostic, other religions, got any kind of hope like that? Of course they haven't. Something that makes sense of what we see every single day. Do you want a God who takes evil seriously? Tick. Do you want a God who protects us from evil without out taking away all of our liberties? Tick. Do you want a God who gives us a mercy in our own personal, even in the midst of our own personal failures? Tick. Somebody who confronts us with hope as we face loss in the world? Tick. Someone who had a plan for the complete transformation of the world. Suffering is a personal problem, and so he came to deal with it personally. He came. Christ is in the lowest places. Where is God in all the suffering? Right there, right where we need him to be. And he'll be right with us where we need him to be if we'll ask. So some of you are sitting there going, that's all very well, but you don't know what I'm going through right now today. Steve, why doesn't he end it? right now why doesn't he bring the future into the present all over the world right now for me and i just want to say this to you have you oh we're buzzing and we're beeping john are we going somewhere brilliant i want to say to him if that's not the lord calling turn it off so some of you are like well why not end it right here right now Well, in that case, let me just ask back to you. Have you ever considered the reason that he is not ending it right here, right now, is, don't miss this, the reason he's not ending it right here, right now, is you. You see, you have evil in your heart. He's done something about that through Jesus. And he's waiting for you to receive that. Another way to ask that question is, if you knew that God was going to go into battle and destroy all the evil, all the suffering, all the injustice, all the rebellion at midnight tonight, where would you be at 1201? Could it be that he's holding off? Wow, somebody who hates evil, that must be hard for him. Could it be that he's holding off? Why? So that you may come to know him first. So that you may be able to say, yes, he's bigger than my suffering and bigger than the evil that I've done and the evil I face. He's holding off maybe so that you'll come to know him first. Bring him into your suffering as this man did. Know something of a renewal and restoration now as you wait for that great day. He knows what you're facing. He loves you dearly. Jesus is the answer to suffering. And we're going to sing about that right now in this song. Seat, would you take a seat? So just got a couple, two or three minutes. We're going to have a go. Uh, It could be that you've got questions on this. Um, Yeah, I'm going to try and answer those questions as best I can, if possible. Some of them might give you a little bit of an answer and talk to you a little bit more. So it's a a big topic. I know many of you face questions about this yourself. Um, It's over to you guys. What questions do you want to ask off the back of what we've been talking about today? Uh, with that one, the text doesn't tell us. Okay? Uh, in three chapters time, four chapters time, there's another example of a guy born blind, and they ask that very big question. The question is, is his uh, is his blindness because of his parents' sin? So the question that I think you're asking here is, uh, does the Bible... Um, always draw direct lines between some stuff going bad in somebody's life, it's because it's connected to a particular line of sin within them. And the answer is no. So there are plenty of examples where... Uh, people have bad suffering come into their life because they've obviously made poor choices, decides to live in a world b- that belongs to God in a way against him, and they're suffering the consequences of their own stupidity, their own weakness, their own, their own failure. Sometimes there are examples of when people are suffering because of the failure and the bad decisions of other people. And that could be individuals, it could be a gang of people, or it could be a whole way in which society is structured. And then there's examples in the Bible of people who are suffering. With, um, this is one of them, as best I can understand it. And we don't know where it comes from. Uh, we don't know why it's there. Broadly speaking, the philosophers dra- break those down into two kinds of suffering. They call them broadly moral evil and natural evil. Evil that's come out of the fact that it's really apparent that we're screwed up and messed up, and we hurt other people, and we get hurt by other people, and stuff that. That is, can't be directly a line drawn to it, natural evil, so we're talking about illness, loss, accidents, natural disasters, avalanches like what happened in Italy the other day. Okay, And so the Bible speaks into both of those, but um, does so very cautiously. Does that, does that help? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we've got here is an assumption against the backdrop. We've got this ba- backdrop assumption that this guy is part of a community who have done this. And here he is, he's getting this beautiful moment of being drawn back into God's restoration plan. And Jesus loves him so much, he's saying, whatever you do, you've been drawn back into this. Imagine what would happen if you opt out of this plan how bad it will be for you. Something even worse than your physical illness will beset you, i.e., you'll face the judgment of God in the light of his grace shown to you in your rejection of it. So I think that's what's going on in that bit there. Good question. Brilliant. We're going to finish by praying for those who are facing suffering and evil at the moment. Is that all right? Let's bow our heads together. Lord, we've just sung that we can face the future, not because we've got philosophical answers, or because all the pain has gone away, but because we know that you are the God who promises to be with us and bring the ultimate answer and solution to us now, as we wait for the then, we thank you that you have answered pain, suffering, and sorrow in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he loved us so much that he would step in, bear the worst that this world could throw at uh, at him, so that we could have a future that would be free free of pain, injustice, and sorrow. And I want to thank you, Lord, that many of us in this room can testify to how much comfort you have brought into our lives as we recover from hard things and as we face the prospect of hard things. Please, Lord, keep us standing in that comfort and that hope. As we look out to our world and we see so many people who are facing hardships, some of their own making, some of the making of others, and some we just can't even explain, we pray, Lord, that so many of them would find the same hope that we have. We think of our estate here, and the many people who are trying to make sense of the difficulties that they're facing, please, Lord, would you shine a light of grace and show them, Jesus, that they may have a heart to welcome him to be at the centre of their story. We ask, Lord, that we would be those who are full of compassion to the troubled and the hurting, and full of truth
0: about Jesus. For we ask in his name. Amen.